0: All right, welcome to the AA pod. We're the podcast for health professionals in the wider community. Look at and explore diverse ideas in health, ask some hard questions, and have some honest conversations. My name is Archie. I'm an EP based on Sydney's Northern Beaches, and joining me as always is allied health business owner, Andrew. Andrew, before
1: we get into the meaty stuff, uh, what beer are you drinking today? We have got the Feral Brewing Brewery Co., Brewing Co. Sly Fox which according to them is a session ale with a vibrant hoppy aroma. Mm. It's it's an interesting beer. Yeah, I I don't know. Two might be enough of the yeah. I'm glad we bought a four pack and <laughs>
0: not
1: a six pack. Um mm. it's got a weird aftertaste to it. It does. Know. I feel like um I feel like I'm going to burp so we might need to edit this part. <laughs> <laughs> if there's some weird pauses, that's why. I mean,
0: they designed it really nice. I and mean, that's why I bought it, because it looked good. Um, oh, it's good. But that may not have been the best decision to, to buy it based on looks. Well. I don't know how else you're you're supposed to buy a beer, though, if it's not based on how it looks, though. Because you can't see inside. You can't taste it. No, that's right. You should have, like, little tasters when you go. But anyway. Um... Let's get to it. Our topic for today is what does a good clinician look like? Now, um, we, we mentioned this on last, uh, last fortnight's pod briefly, and we thought we wanted to dig into a, bit, a little bit further and, and flesh out this topic. So let, let's dive straight in. And, I, and I'll ask you, Angie, I'll, I'll open it up and you can just go for it, really. What does a good clinician look like in practice?
1: Oh, there's, there's a lot of different ways to answer that question. Mm. I think from a very high level, a good clinician is someone that their profession, their what they do for a living is almost part of their identity, that you don't just finish up on a Friday afternoon and walk out the door and say, oh, I'm not an EP anymore. I'm done. And I don't need to put that hat back on until Monday morning when I walk back through the door. Mm. I think a, a good clinician is someone that has that as part of their identity. And that then kind of feeds into the way that they, the way that they interact in the clinic with their clients but then also outside that you're not trying to wear two different hats and create two different personalities okay um i feel like i feel like that's a place where burnout can kind of originate is if you are when you are trying to have two different hats when you are trying to have two different hats right when you have conflict between spending so much time and so many hours each week wearing one hat Mm. that perhaps doesn't align with who you are as a person outside of those doors or outside of that clinic. Mm. So I think very, very high level is a a good clinician has that as part of their identity. Okay. And they're, they're able to, or they are that person. I am an EP, whether I am in these four walls or whether I am outside. Right. Okay. And you think that takes
0: less energy and, uh, may lead to less burnout perhaps if you don't have to constantly be pulling yourself from side to side between two different areas. And do you think that's because of like down to personality? I think,
1: I think again, it's that alignment between a personality and the profession, right? That we should be choosing professions that Align with ourselves, mm. um, because you know the, the the test of this is if you and I've certainly had this with previous jobs is that I'd finish on Friday afternoon and be like, oh, thank Christ, I don't have to do that for yeah. another two days. Yeah. Um, but then I'd get to like Sunday morning, and the anxiety would start to creep in. And I'd be like, right. oh, God, i got to work tomorrow. Mm. That sucks. I'm gonna see all these people that I don't like and mm. I'm gonna mix with, you know, other practitioners that mm. I might not have as much respect for as mm. as I would hope for. It's like, ugh. Yeah. And that weighs on you. And that weighs on you over time. That that weight gets heavier. Mm. So you've experienced that. Mm, very much so. Was that in EP? Yes. Well it was it was as an EP, but it was in Occupational rehab. Occupational rehab, rehab okay. Yeah. So yeah. technically, your role wasn't I'm a
0: treating exercise physiologist. It was as a consultant. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah.
1: Right. And I knew that that job wasn't for me. Mm. Mm. Personally, I knew I hadn't done all this work on values and, and personal growth and all that yeah. stuff then, but I kind of knew that what I was feeling waking up on a Sunday morning, mm-hmm. I shouldn't be feeling that. Like, that's not good. That's not a good way to live. No, no, not at all. Okay. So
0: when you've then come into private practice and you start seeing people that you want to see, some of your more ideal clients, and at some point, did you get to a place where you then go, okay, I, I'm not dreading, I'm not feeling anxious about Monday morning?
1: Yes, but like it's 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 definitely more of an aspirational thing, I think. Okay. Um, yeah. That. You know, this isn't saying that, oh, we must love every single second of every single day in our jobs. Like mm. that, that doesn't exist. Mm. Um, but I have a lot more, I don't, I don't dread coming to work. Mm. I know that there might be parts of my job that are harder than others, um, that I prefer doing less than others. Mm. Um, but on the whole, the, the, the scales very much tip in the weight of, well, I really enjoy Okay. What I'm doing. So to be a good clinician, you have to enjoy, at least to some extent, what you're doing. Well, you, you have to, yeah. right? I mean... To put the time in. How, how could it not? How could you not? Mm. Um, and I think when you are that person, uh, when you are that person that um, wants to help other people, has, has a deeper um, deeper meaning for doing what they're doing you want to get better and you want to improve and you want to do that for yourself. And you want to do that for the people that you're working with Yeah. and you want to do that for perhaps the company that you're working with as well, because there might be an alignment between what your goals are and mm. what the company goals are. Like this is ideal world mm. um, where you don't feel that anymore. Mm. Okay. So to set up a
0: framework, for a position where a good clinician can grow, you need personality type, which is someone who wants to
1: improve for themselves and wants to improve for their client's well-being. I don't think you, you mentioned personality types, like mm. I don't think you need to label that as sure as as an extrovert or as an introvert or yep. as a you know a D on the DISC profile or anything like that. So it's it has just, more
0: like caring caring traits. Mm. I, I know when we did it um, at, our, at our company, I think it was like at least 90% of us ended up in the, uh, we were helpers or caring personality types. It's like, oh, that, that's <laughs> not surprising whatsoever that we're in healthcare.
1: No, no, exactly right. And I think you'd probably see that yeah fairly standard across, certainly across private practice and, and mm. maybe a lesser degree in, in oc rehab or insurance companies and things like that. But mm. Yeah. O- on that, um,
0: when, when, I, when I talk about what a good clinician would look like in practice, and you mentioned the difference between and maybe you couldn't find it in OCR rehab and you can find the, the want to improve and that sort of thing more in private practice, um, I see a big difference in these things uh, from a KPI's uh, perspective. Mm-hmm. And, and I wanted to, to dive into this topic because I think a good, clini- good clinician can be uh, kind of defined in different ways. And I think a very traditional view of what a good clinician would look like is that they've got uh, mad KPIs. Mm-hmm. And, and f- from my experience, they, the, the KPIs that often people be looking for is a rebooking, Percentage, uh, a low cancellation rate, which makes sense, mm-hmm. and also like an average appointments per client. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the exact name of what that KPI is. Uh, PVA, patient, PVA, patient visit average, patient, client visit average, patient visit average. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to talk about this one. Yep. Yeah. Because I, I I know a lot of healthcare uh, businesses use these KPIs because they make sense traditionally that uh from a business point of view mm-hmm. if those numbers are good then they're very valuable to the business and it would appear that they are very valuable to their clients as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it's always a good indicator and I have and I have some points I want to throw at you uh in terms of PVA. Mm-hmm. Say someone comes in and a clinician is very, very good at teaching someone self management strategies to the point that they don't need as many sessions and to the point that they can be independent earlier and then discharge with much less sessions. Why is that reflected negatively in someone's KPIs? And how. Like that looks negative on, on a classic KPI, but I don't think that makes them a bad clinician at all. I think that makes them a very, very good clinician if they are very, very good at teaching people self-management strategies.
1: That's a good a good point. Okay, so I will tell you my perspective on KPIs and then I'll, I'll answer your question yep. directly. I think if you are a good clinician, then you are able to build very good rapport with people. They like coming to see you. They see value in coming to see you, right? I think then it doesn't matter if you can fix, fix in inverted commas, Mm. if you can discharge that client within five sessions or 50. Mm. I don't think it matters. And certainly the way that, that I would use KPIs is not, oh, you haven't met the expectation because, you know, we, we understand that uh, someone with back pain needs 10 sessions in order to reach the minimum. Um, if somebody just got discharged at less than that, mm. then great. Mm. The, the sticking point is how do you know? How do you know that somebody is, is being able to be given self-management strategies and apply them in the long term. Yep. Yeah. Because I will use, I will put my hand up and say, I have bias here mm-hmm. because I, I have bias because I'm a business owner, but I also have bias based on my own experience. Mm-hmm. And in the times, and and this might reflect on me being a good clinician or a not good clinician, and that's okay. I, I can I can certainly say that there are, types of clients that I do much better with that get better results than other types of clients. Um, That they're the 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 clients that I had the most difficulty with, and these were the typically you know chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, or Or chronic health conditions. Chronic chronic health conditions. Uh, where where a, a multidisciplinary approach to it was what I was trying to do as as a one-disciplined yeah. person.
0: Yeah.
1: I would see that person hmm. and I'd see them for a few sessions and I'd give them self-management strategies and then they'd go away and then they'd come back and they'd say, I haven't done them. And there was a... a a cyclical mm. approach to this where um, a, a perfect example of this is type 2 diabetes, right? People come in with their Medicare referral. They get eight sessions. They do their eight sessions. They say, I can't do it anymore this year, but I'll come back next year. Mm. And then they come back next year mm. and nothing's changed. Mm. And it's, it's more about being able to demonstrate that they are able to take those self-management strategies and do them. Because there's there's two elements there. There's the element of, am I giving this person the best self-management strategies? Mm-hmm. The other element is, is the person actually able to do them? Mm. And are they able to do them over 5, 10, 20 years?
0: So it's more the teaching and the learning aspect than it is how good are the strategies? So we it's, can look up the strategies in the book.
1: Exactly. That's exactly. fine. So can they though. They can just get on Google and go, yeah. management of type 2 diabetes, up, yeah. exercise, up, eating well, up, yeah. managing stress, sleeping yeah. well. Okay. Good. Done. Mm. But it's,
0: it's the teaching side of it. And how good is this clinician at teaching this person these strategies to a point where they can integrate them into their life? Mm. And uh, and I would argue that if they can do that particularly well, that might not reflect very well in their rebooking rate and their um, and their PVA. But I think it definitely means that they could be a good clinician. It also depends on the type
1: of clients they see, as well. I think I think you're right. I think also it depends how you define your role. Right. Because if you work. If you work in a in a room that's two meters by two meters mm. and you don't have the opportunity to provide group classes or exercise with that person and your role is very prescriptive, mm. then there is a limit to which how long that person mm. will be able to come to. Whereas if you you do run group classes or you mm. do more like training with someone, then if you're good at your job and people like you and the client feels like they are getting results from what they're doing they're going to keep coming back. Mm. Because our role is our role shouldn't just be prescriptive. Okay. Mm. It should be what? Well, again, I have biases because the way that I was up up, you can
0: talk from your biases
1: I'm just just aware of my biases Mm, mm. that um, I go to a gym yep I go to the gym down the street here Mm. but you're in I like going to the gym Mm. down the street here Mm. the reason that I like going down to the the gym down the street is because the trainers are good Mm. the people that are are in that gym are good Mm. I feel like I'm getting good Mm. results Mm. I feel Mm. like it's a nice environment Mm. Um, and I want to keep going. Okay. And you see the value of continuing to 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 pay them for very much so. For, yeah. So my older bias mm-hmm. speaks very much to that. Mm. But an EP's role should be less about um, hurtling advice of people and hopefully mm. some of it sticks, mm. or prescribing an exercise home exercise program and say go do this, mm. and more about going the journey with people. Mm. Mm. That's the bias that I was taught. Mm. And that's very much where I, I try and kind of coach people now, Mm. because if you do that, yes, there's a commercial benefit to doing that because people stay longer, but they stay longer because they like it and they feel like they're getting benefit from doing it. It's not over servicing
0: Okay, so it, it, you're saying it's not over so Yeah, that, that's a new topic. Um, it's not over if they are continuing to see benefit and they know that the option is there for them to continue self-manage and do it independently, but they choose to continue coming because yeah. you offer the services for them to keep coming in an affordable, valuable way.
1: Very okay. much so. Like over-servicing is a, is a huge topic and I would love to talk about that. Write that one down down in the notebook. Write in the notebook. Um, Yeah, overservicing is is a is probably less of a problem than it's made out to be, but it should be something that is is conscious in in practitioners. Fair enough. Yeah, Um, but if people enjoy coming in, Mm. and the reason that they enjoy coming in is because. They have a good clinician who's passionate about their job and passionate about helping people, mm. and they feel like they're getting benefit from it. Mm. Who's gonna? Why should you stop them? Okay. Fair. If you give them the the options, okay, right? You could keep coming and seeing me. X amount of times a week mm. or I can give you a home program mm. or we can set you up at the gym down the road. Mm. Which would you prefer? Mm. And if you lay those options out and they still chose, actually, you know what? I really enjoy coming to see you, Archie. And it, was, it was a great session and I feel mm. like I'm getting benefits. So why would I stop now? Mm. Mm. That's a good clinician. There you go. Okay. Right.
0: So the the good clinician has the ability to get a person to a point where they can self-manage and be independent. But then offers them the options, and it allows the person to choose. And often that person might choose to continue coming because they're a good clinician. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> it's funny how yeah, that works, isn't it? It goes around sand. and around. Too. Yeah. So yeah. a good clinician offers the other options, but then they might often come back anyway. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So then when it comes to to PVA and back to the KPIs, yep. a good clinician even if they are very ethical, would probably still have good a good PBA anyway, overall.
1: So this is exactly the way that me mm. and um, fortunately the, the people that I hang out with mm. look at PVA. Mm. Is that PVA is a reflection of the value that is given to a client. Mm. The clients enjoy coming they feel like they're getting benefit. Mm. Um, there is there is a rapport with the clinician. Mm. And if given the choice, they'd still rather come. Mm. Question. Do you think this is specific to EP? I think it's more specific. I think in, in this context where we're yeah. talking about chronic conditions yeah, and... Here at Rebound, you know, we, we run a, a program that's like a, a generalized kind of exercise program for yeah. people over the age of 65. Yeah, yeah like people keep coming mm. more for the social element rather than for the the knowledge and prescription from an accredited EP, right? Sure. Um, yeah, I think there's... Okay, so that's specific to an EP. Um, In the context of different professions that perhaps are traditionally more manual therapy, Mm. uh, I have a physio. Mm. Now, I don't go and see that physio every every week, Mm. but if something were to go wrong, Mm. I would go to my physio. Mm. And so while my PBA with him Mm. uh, might be shorter, Mm. If I get injured, because I I have trust in him, Mm. I have, uh, I will do what he says Mm. because he's helped me in the past. Mm -hmm. I'm much more likely to go back to him than anybody else. Okay. Interesting. On the street.
0: Yeah. I
1: I I want to bookmark PVAs there,
0: but I want to continue on that thread where you've got a physio that you obviously quite like. And there's someone that you will always go back to if something goes wrong for you, whenever that may be. Um, Which kind of brings us to another KPI that's quite common. Oh, I don't know how common it is actually. You might be able to tell me more. Which is word of mouth referrals and referrals from friends and family. Or referrals from friends and family of your clients. Um, And how that plays into being a good clinician. Go for it. Crack the beer. Oh! Oh! There you go. Um, there we go. It makes a loud noise. Apologies for that one. Um, so a quick question first up. If someone has uh, an acute injury of some sort that you know that physio could help with, would you refer them to that person? Yes. Okay. All right. How, do, as a business owner, do you track that from your clinicians? As in word of mouth referrals or referrals f- from clients of that person?
1: Uh, only recently,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and the reason, the only reason that we do that recently is to say thank you. Ah, oh, okay. Yeah. So we, we have a, a kind of loyalty program, I guess you'd call it in, in a very broad sense, but part of that is a word of mouth referral. So, mm-hmm. um, to acknowledge someone when they refer their family or friends to us, we, mm-hmm. we like to say thank you to them. Mm-hmm but that's only a, a fairly recent thing that we are actually
0: okay. starting to track. So it's been tracked more for a, a thank you point of view. Uh, do you consider that stat... stat we're saying <laughs> stats about people. yeah, yeah. Yep. Like the game characters. But do you consider that stat beneficial in identifying good clinicians? Yes. Okay. That's quite interesting. I, I would agree with you on that one. Uh, I would agree that... A good clinician should aspire to having lots of of word-of-mouth referrals. And I'm sure a lot of business owners would agree with that as well. Is that something
1: that... How do do you develop that, right? How do you develop that? How do you develop a a good word-of-mouth
0: referral? So I think that brings us to kind of the crux of this. And and me personally, I'd think that you get good word of mouth referrals, which is a stat um, from something that you can't measure, which is providing good client experiences. Mm -hmm. And there's no, well, I don't think you might have one. I don't know if there's a stat or a number that we can objectify someone providing good client experiences. Uh, But I feel like that is the main thing that makes a good clinician because that kind of encompasses all of the points. It encompasses providing um, good treatment, good listening skills, good communication, good prescription, um, laying out all the options, providing them autonomy with their whatever treatment plan they go on to and that sort of thing. I'd say that's a good experience. Um, Now, if I have a good experience, I would as a human, I would like to give other people good experiences as well. And I would tell my friends and family that I had a good experience somewhere, I feel like. Mm. So I feel like the best way of measuring good client experiences is through word of mouth referrals.
1: Do you agree? Do you think there's a better way to measure that? I or don't. Thoughts? I think as, you know, we're, we're fortunate here that we, we like new grads Yeah, Um, We bring on new grads regularly. Freshers. Freshers. (laughs) And one of the things that we look at with them as a determinant of success is their ability to get word of mouth referrals, irrespective of discipline. How soon do you expect that to, to happen? Three months. Okay. Yep. If you can do it in three months, then you'll have seen people you know you walk into a role you'll have some some clients handed over to you you'll you'll get new ones that yep. are sort of overflow from other commissions and if you're doing a good job then you'll be able to do it yep. within 3 months um average probably a bit longer but that's fine because you know we we expect that it takes time yep. to develop confidence. Okay. right? Because confidence is one of those intangible things that, or how do you know if you're a confident mm. practitioner mm. Um, and how do you build confidence in mm. someone um, if mm. you're trying to build confidence in public speaking mm. you would do a course and then you just go and practice it right? because mm. you, you can do all the courses in the world mm. but until you're on stage presenting to 200 people you don't know how that feels mm. and you don't know whether you're good or bad in that Environment. Yeah. So, with word of mouth, we we aim for fairly soon. We know fairly soon. Yeah. As a, a as someone who likes to keep in touch with certainly the the clients that I've had that I've passed over to a new grad or the 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 sort of leadership here. Yeah. When a new person comes in and they sort of pass part of their caseload yeah. onto that that new practitioner, you get feedback mm-hmm. and you actively go and get feedback and go, oh, how's it going with That's thingo? Good. You know, you've yeah. you done a few sessions, now mm-hmm. how's it going?
0: If you know them well enough, they're probably going to give you honest feedback.
1: Yeah. hope. Yeah. yeah. Um, if you have a good relationship in the first place exactly. and, and that transfer of trust from one person to another is done really well, mm. yeah, you get it. Um, the, the feedback can be ranging. It can be, you know what? They were better than you, so <laughs> I'm so glad. Thank you so much. Which is great, right? That's that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, it can be that, well, I think they're a bit nervous at the start, but now they're kind of finding their feet and they kind of get it. Great. Great. Uh, or they stop coming. Mm.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: And it's like, well, you know, you, you had a certain amount of clients in your case caseload last week and now you've got that minus 20%. Yeah. What happened? And then you call them and they say, well, yeah, I didn't really didn't get it. That. didn't really enjoy it. Mm. Um, yeah. So so that's one way yep. um, that we actually go and ask for feedback from clients that have been passed over. You know, there's this net promoter score Which is the on a scale of 1 to 10, how likely are you to refer a family or friend to clinician? Tell Um, me how
0: that works because that basically goes straight to the point. That's asking for a stat, a number, based on how likely would someone refer a friend or family. Yeah.
1: Okay. It can be quite strategically done though, right? Because if you were to uh, be a very manual therapist... Yes. And send that message to someone two hours after you saw it. And you can set that time, right? Yeah. well, of course, they're going to feel better after that time because if I've done my job half well, Mm, they're going to feel better. It's easy to provide one good session. Yeah, absolutely.
0: How long after someone starts seeing a practitioner do you slash we send those messages?
1: Immediately. Immediately?
0: Immediately. Immediately. Interesting. Are there follow-up?
1: Yes. Oh. Absolutely. How much longer? So we do it, and I know that there are different business owners that do it different ways. Mm-hmm. So people uh, could overkill this mm-hmm. and they could go, right, well, I'm going to do it after the first session, Yeah. the fifth session, the 10th session, the 20th session, and the 50th session. Sure. And you can kind of track that yeah. over time, which we don't do. We just do it once and okay. we just do it at the start mm. um, because- Personally, I don't like getting bombarded with that sort of spam. Like, mm-hmm. I think that's a bit annoying. Yep. After a while, if I got the same message over and over, I'd be like, off. Cool. I'm, I'm just <laughs> going to give you a lower score because this is annoying <laughs>
0: <laughs> Yeah, you don't want Yeah, don't to Yeah,
1: influenced. Mm-hmm. So we do that twenty four hours after. Mm-hmm. And that's the question. It's it's how likely are you to refer a family or friend to us on a scale of one on a to scale of one to ten? 10. One to ten. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's that's one way to try and get an objective measure about, you know, whether someone's a good clinician or not. In your experience, does it reflect accurately
0: on that practitioner?
1: Sometimes. (sighs) Okay. Go on. Sometimes. Why sometimes? Well, you talked about the client experience before. And sometimes you might get a score of 2 out of 10. Mm. And if I just took that at face value, I'd say, well, well, why did you get this score two out of ten? Like, what the fuck did you, you do them? You must have done something wrong. Did you throw a
0: dumbbell at them? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Did you purposely Maybe. drop a kettlebell on their
1: foot? Exactly, yeah. right? You're, you'll be fine. I couldn't find you. The parking uh, was too yeah, bad. Okay. Your video said that you were here and I'm here now and that's stupid because I can't find you. Yeah. And we went overtime in our session and that may be missed by next appointment yeah and 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 yeah so it goes to the client experience mm, mm. so when when we often get that sort of a feedback very rarely is it oh i just was very disappointed with Mm. the the consultation, Mm. it was very much around the experience. Yeah, okay. That the music was annoying or that the the lighting was too bright Mm. or that there was no parking and I couldn't find it. So to take a number like that at face value Mm. to determine whether or not somebody is a good clinician Mm. is a very short-sighted way
0: of doing it and
1: you do need to dig a little bit deeper.
0: Which is why we ask why why yeah. would you, why do you give this score?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And we do follow up like we okay. follow up and I don't know mm. um, the, the system that does this mm. allows you to follow up as yeah. well. Do you think it would, therefore
0: because of all these things, which can uh, influence a, a score like that so early on, 24 hours after, whether that's EP, physio, Cairo, any, any kind of healthcare, actually any kind of service, because there are always some short term immediate effects that may influence them one way or the other. Do you think it would be more beneficial to ask people a rating like that further down the track, say a week or a certain amount of sessions later, after people have kind of calmed down and they can separate um, experience with the practitioner from the lights were too bright, which they'll probably forget about.
1: Maybe, okay. Maybe maybe that's something that we should go and review. The I suppose the purpose that we do it initially is to get their first impression. Yep. First impression. Because there are instances where we don't meet expectations. Mm. And that, if, if you went into a consultation with someone and they didn't meet your expectations, you're probably more likely to give that feedback fairly early on rather mm. than letting it dwell for a few days and, and letting it... Sit So in that sort of a situation, perhaps, mm. uh, there, there might be some validity to doing it, you know, two weeks later or, yeah. or four weeks later, mm. um, and asking the same question mm. because answers might change. Yeah. Cause first impressions might fade.
0: That goes against the saying though.
1: It does go against the <laughs> saying. It was hard <laughs> to say that actually. Yeah. <laughs> Because, you know, we're taught motivational interviewing. Yep. And and in that consultation room, we can turn somebody's beliefs around, we can turn their attitudes around, and they feel wonderful. Mm. And that lasts for 24 hours. Yeah. And then it doesn't. Yeah. And when they then reflect back, you know, a week after their appointment and go, what did we talk about again? Mm. I don't remember. Mm. Or what I do remember is different to what we actually Mm. talked about.
0: Which would probably uh, signify whether that person has done a good job or not. Uh, Because if it's a week later, they should have had some kind of contact with the practitioner. Whether that is another session or a message or a call or some kind of checking to go, Hey, how do you pull up after? Or hey how are you feeling? Or, hey, how are your thoughts? Or that kind of thing.
1: That's a really good point. And I think this kind of leads us into a a next good topic is, well, how do you become a good clinician? Okay. Who teaches you that? Mm -hmm. Do you, are you supposed to learn that by yourself? Or should you have a mentor that kind of teaches you good practice when it comes to, like, if we are going to help people self-manage their, them, their condition themselves, mm. Yeah. who teaches you when you should be, mm. you know, following up after your initial consult, who teaches you when you should be booking that next session in, who teaches you what a good PVA is mm. for, like, name the condition.
0: Sure. So I think some of that comes down to uh, what we talked about last episode, which is how to find a mentor that some and shit. Uh, and I think just some of it definitely comes down to that. You need a good mentor or good mentors, um, a good structure surrounding you at that company where they can teach you this stuff in that setting. Because I think it's very, very specific to the setting that you're in. Um, because, like, you can be a good clinician, but not in private practice. So... Sometimes rebooking and stuff and these sorts of experiences won't be relevant. Say you work in a rehab hospital, you know, then, then the stats and the, you know, the markers are very, very different then. Um, but I think, I, I think a lot of it comes up to the person is down to the person and and that actually goes back to what we said originally, which that person needs to, um, needs to have the the desire to improve and develop themselves so that they can help more people that way.
1: Um, How do you feel about that? I like that. I think that resonates with the way that we do things here and the way that we would want to train new new grads that Mm. came in Mm. to to what it is that we're doing Mm. is that you need to be able to think by yourself. So we need to teach you, internally and externally, Mm. different ways of thinking. Yeah. And that is not just, certainly the the way that I ran an initial consult when I first started Mm. in private practice is very, very different to the way that I run them now. Yeah. And that's through experience and that's through learning and that's through mentoring and that is through understanding what clients actually want. Mm. And getting that feedback from them initially. Yeah, definitely. Cause no
0: good clinicians start as good clinicians. Originally they'd have to have experiences uh, that they can learn from and reflect on to then lead towards becoming a good clinician. I
1: don't I don't know how you can. Yeah, I, I feel like being able to to reflect is a, a one of the fundamental parts of being a good clinician and going, it didn't work here. I wonder why, mm. I'm how I might do this different next time. Interesting. Okay. On that
0: word reflecting,
1: is it possible to, at a
0: point in time, reflect upon your own experience and go, yes, I am now a good clinician or is being a good clinician more of an aspirational goal?
1: I think it depends who you talk to. Oh. I think there might be different opinions on that one. I think there would be people out there mm. that say, yes, I am a good clinician. I think if you asked a surgeon, if they're a good surgeon, they would tell you, they would be able to bring up their statistics very, yeah. very quickly. Yeah. We went to a. a um <laughs> That's right. We went to this thing where. What kind
0: of surgeon were they? Oh, I I think he did knees. Was he knees? He was a knee person. He did knee. He was a knee person.
1: (laughs) And he spent this. So this was this was an education event put on by someone, uh, probably the the knee replacement company that did the actual knee. And the first <laughs> half an hour of this 40-minute con- this uh, forty minute presentation was him talking about his statistics <gasps> and how amazing he was. I think if you asked him if he was a good clinician, he would have a fairly strong answer to that question. Right. But his answer to that would be based in statistics.
0: Mm. He wouldn't
1: give two shits about what the client experience was like, yeah. what... Uh, you know, perhaps the long-term outcomes were he is focused on was it a successful surgery? Did I kill this person or are they able to, you know, kind of meet the two-week, four-week, four-month, like tick the box, yep, you yeah. can do all this stuff, great. I'm a good clinician because look at my statistics. They want to
0: boil it down to as few steps as possible that they can showcase.
1: Exactly. Can
0: frame on their walls so people come in and
1: see it, right? And you get more grants and you get more surgeries and people talk about you, not because you're a nice person, Mm. but because, and it's funny, right? I don't know if you've noticed this, but, um, certainly the clients that I've had that have gone in for particularly orthopedic surgery Mm. and they've done their initial consult with the, with the specialist Mm. and they're like, oh my God, like this person was a dick, (laughs) but they were referred to me by this person and this person, so I guess they must be good. Yeah. Well, there you go, right? I don't know if you've experienced that. I've, I've had that a lot. Mm. And it's funny because they end up going with, this, with the surgeon despite their focus on results rather than the client experience. Okay. So, so maybe for a surgeon,
0: being a, a good clinician is much more simple for them because their job revolves around stats, perhaps. What about an allied health?
1: What about in allied health?
0: Can you, can you self-reflect at a point and go, I'm a good clinician or is it an aspirational
1: goal? Again, I think you can see that from two different perspectives. I think very much based on the personality of the person, if I am someone that's always trying to improve yeah. and if always trying to book into the next course or always trying to get feedback from my clients about, you know, how they're going, then I'm going to sit here and go, okay, well, I could have done that differently. Mm. And is that person going to sit here and go, am I a good clinician? They could go, well, I feel confident in what I'm doing. Mm. It could always improve, but yeah, okay. Mm. Not bad, but, you know, always. Whereas, there is also a, a cohort out there hmm. um, not being generation biased here Go on. do it but you know the old people
0: are oh, the old people
1: the old people sorry can
0: <laughs> just for my benefit can you put a an age okay. on what separates old and not old people? well
1: i'm i'm 37 okay. so, so, so which so category <laughs> do you do? Yeah, I want to know i want, I want an answer <laughs> So 38 and above. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, that's it. The, You know, there, there are these credentialing courses out there and, and you can say, oh, I've done this course, therefore I'm an expert in this field. Whether it's um, McKenzie or scoliosis or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, you could there are people out there, or, or you know, cardio respiratory, you could say, Well, I've done this course, therefore I'm an expert. Mm. I've got 20 years' experience, therefore I'm an expert. Mm. I've seen it all, therefore, I'm an expert. Mm. It's it's a subjective thing, right? It's, subjective. it's like very subjective. I am an expert. Um, your clients might think differently, mm. and they might think, Well, you know, we, we talked about. Uh, specialists before, but in a in a landscape where there's a few other physios or a few other osteos mm. in the area that are providing the same service that you are, whereas there might be only one orthopedic surgeon. Mm. If I don't like you, I'm just going to go down the road. Yeah, exactly. And you sound like a bit of a dick, so yeah. why would I spend my money coming to see you? Do, so th- there seems like there, there could be some
0: arrogance... Involved, and that's a strong word, but we're here to have have these honest discussions. And this is my honest opinion um, that there could be some arrogance in someone going, "Yes, I am a good clinician." And there's
1: there, there, there can be times where that is useful. Hmm. It, again, leaning into the client experience, right? So, what one one of the things that generally clients want to know when they come in for a condition yeah is that you are the person to help me yes and if you if you have a degree of self-certainness that's not arrogance that's self-certainness yeah and you kind of portray that, you know, into a, a way that a client goes, mm. right, this person seems to know what they're doing. Yeah. They've told me, mm. um, you know, what the likely trajectory mm. for this is. Mm. Um, I, I get that. I'm, I'm willing now to enter into their, the treatment that they've recommended. Yeah. yeah. Um, whether that is seeing you three times a week forever mm. or whether that's dependent on, you know, the, the way that most of the, the practitioners sure, um, around here do, mm. that, that, that arrogance can kind of be used in a way... To get some buy-in.
0: Yep. And you, you definitely need a, a bit of that. Uh, but to a client, it wouldn't come across as arrogance if they were good at what they were doing. Right. Um, I think that arrogance comes from someone going, yeah, I'm a good clinician and I don't need to work on them anymore. Because that's assuming that research is not changing and evidence is not changing and best practice is not changing, which is totally untrue. Because I guarantee that like at least 70% of people in EP specifically, but let's, let's kind of diversify to, I don't know, physio, these sorts of things, haven't changed slightly what they're doing in the last 15, 20 years. Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. And if you would be uh, blind... Phew, strong man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was unsure what I'd say. You would be blind to go, no, I don't need to change what I'm doing because I'm a good clinician in the year 2000 Mm. and I don't need to improve. I don't need to change. What I'm doing already works well and I don't need to get better at it because I guarantee that a lot of the stuff that they're working off would no longer be the most evidence-based, the best practice option for that person. That's my
1: very, very honest opinion. I, I like that opinion. I resonate with that opinion. And I imagine our our international audience would also resonate with that opinion because we've seen it, right? So we've seen practitioners that apply a model that was relevant 40 years ago to today.
0: Mm.
1: And it's funny, though, because they're starting to die.
0: Mm.
1: Not not the practitioners, but <laughs> well, they might be. I don't know. But the their type of business because they're they're far less focused on engaging with the person in front of them mm. and more about it's this way. This is the way that we do things. Yeah. And I think that that, that is dying because people, consumers out there now are mm. far more focused on the client experience. Yeah. Like they want to come into a place and feel like they are important. Mm. They want to feel heard. Mm. They want to feel like the solution that's given to them mm. is for them and not just a, a generic yeah. type response. And I think that is is part of the definition of what a good mm. practitioner is. Mm. Whereas a, a, a rigid practitioner... People aren't going to go back to them. Yeah, and yeah. To, to the points before about KPIs, like you'll start to see those KPIs slide mm. because people are like, well, no, I, I I don't think that that's the right thing.
0: Yeah, for me. Yeah. So so last final question for you, Andrew, is you you know quite a lot of business owners. You you you're a mentee and like a business owner. Uh, group, but you also mentor business owners, Are, in your experience, are most owners, people in allied health, measuring client experience some way or another now? Yes. Okay. They should be. They should be. And if they're not... They should be. They should be. There you go.
1: Okay. Because it's, it's way more important. Way mm. more important. We know that from... Statistics. Yep. But we also know that from just being consumers ourselves. Yeah. Right? Um, If I go and buy something, uh, let's say I want to buy beer. 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 Love beer. Love beer. And I walk into a beer shop and I think it's called a, a bottle shop these days. Yeah. And the guy behind the counter doesn't give two shits and he's like, yeah, whatever. And it's like you go and choose for yourself or the guy behind the counter is like, Hey, how are you going? You know, what have you been up to today? Uh, what are you after? Um, and I go, Oh geez, this is a bit much. I'm just coming for some beer. Yeah. Um, and he says, Oh, I tried this one. It was really good. And the reason it was good is I'm trying to read the can here because it had a, a, val- a vibrant hoppy aroma. Yeah. I'd be like, Oh geez, I don't know what that means, but it, it sounds good. Yeah, it sounds good. Um, yeah. In that situation, I want to be sold to. Mm. There's this whole marketing thing. Again, this is a very older um, way of thinking about things that people don't like to be sold to, mm. right? I don't want to be sold to. I want to. I want. Uh, what's that saying? Um, not carpe diem, but buy beware. <laughs> buy beware. What's that one? Told um, to totally the wrong person. I'm at the age of thirty eight. Awesome. so I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know sayings. Uh, I have to go with that. That's one. Um, I want to be Sultan. Hmm. I want to have a good experience when I go into the bottle shop, when I go into JB Hi-Fi, or when I go into a CPD course. Yeah. That is not just someone with a very closed-minded perspective on what they are presenting, hmm. but they are engaging with me and giving me. A good experience when I go in to their shop. What a
0: good experience! Totally, yeah. There you go. Um, how has the experience been with this beer? Speaking of beer shops, yeah, there's. there's how is the
1: Sly box? It's it's. Look, I wouldn't be going back to it. Oh, for for next time, I think there um there might be some on a
0: scale of one to ten. Um, how likely would you be to refer a family
1: or friend to this beer? Look, I'd, I'd give it like a four, which is, which is not a great, not a a great number.
0: I think Feral Brewing Co. is going to need a performance
1: review (laughs) with that rating. (laughs) Oh dear. Okay, so I'm, I'm not going to I'm not gonna stop the conversation there. I'm oh. going to ask one more question back Carry to you and on. then we can wrap that up. Mm-hmm. Would you say you're a good clinician? Uh, no, because
0: I don't think I can possibly be a good clinician with the amount of experience I've had. I think that I... Yep. Andrew's oh writing something down. Writing me. something down. Um, I think I aspire to be a good clinician and that means that I am constantly seeking out learning experiences, I'm trying to find ways to improve myself, my practice, the kind of experience I provide to my clients, and I think part of being a good clinician, which we're not going to talk about today, involves teaching and providing value to other clinicians as well. but no, I don't think I can call myself a good clinician because I think that's something you just
1: aspire to. I disagree. I, I disagree. think you are a good clinician. I think the reason that you are a good clinician is because you have a good word of mouth referral. I think because I think you are a good clinician because you have good numbers. I think you are a good clinician because clients enjoy And they get benefit from, and they can see the benefit from, what you are doing with them. Interesting. Now, this is probably a good delineation between someone that that might look at numbers and go... Business owner and practitioner. Um,
0: Because you've got to look at that somehow. And you have to somehow differentiate... a clinicians from keeping and investing time into, and clinicians that aren't worth keeping and investing time into. So you have to be able to say good and bad one way or another, not using those words. So you have to look at the numbers. As a practitioner myself, I I I can't say I look at my numbers. I I think if I was focusing so much on the stats and that sort of thing, I think that would be detracting from what I should be really focusing on.
1: And I absolutely agree with that. I think clinicians, sh- practitioners shouldn't be worried about the numbers. Mm. I think if you are worried about your numbers, there's probably something else going on.
0: Focus on your craft. The numbers will look after themselves. Absolutely. There you go. Alrighty. That That's enough. That's <laughs> enough there. No more questions. No more. Go back to your regularly scheduled lives, people. Um, we will see you in two weeks. Please follow the podcast. Please leave a review or some stars if you'd like to. It looks nice. Um, I don't know. It looks nice. On the it phone. does look nice. If you're not from Australia, um, please listen to it because, like, it makes the map on the on the podcast app look colourful and I like looking at the different colours from different <laughs> countries. Talking to you, German person. Well, um, we'll see you in two weeks, guys. Bye-bye. See bye you later. Bye-bye.